Okay, it's time for our message. And I wanted to welcome Shannon here. Uh, most of you probably heard Shannon speak here before on his testimony. His last name is Ewing, which is a quite a popular name in our church. Uh, it's been around here for well over a hundred and some years, so, you know. So without further ado, I'm turning it over to Shannon Ewing. Y'all have to excuse me, I've never used one of these little booming mics before in my head stuff. Um, when I came in, this was introduced as a kind of chair of honor. I want y'all to understand that I do understand what it means to stand in front of a congregation and the obligation that comes with that when you're bringing a message from the Lord. So uh, let me start off with prayer. Let's see what's back here. Father, we love you. Thank you. And Jesus, we praise you. Give you all glory and honor to do your name. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that you come now and do what you do, which is bring us into all truth. Reveal the Son to us today in a way that we may never have seen it before. Make it real to us. Let us hear from the Father strong what you have to deliver to us today. Keep me out of the way. And have your way, Father. I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I sent a couple of uh, short verses. Uh, I'm going to read those real quick and then we'll go into. I need to do a little teaching first before I get into the message itself. But in Matthew 22, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And send his servants to those who have been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refuse to come. And then in Proverbs 19, verse 22, it says, What a man deserves is unfailing love. Better be poor than a liar. And what I wanted to teach on this morning is. Uh, the concept of the bride of paradise. If you understand types and shadows, all throughout the Bible, there's literal interpretation. And, and I will tell you that when you read through the Bible, the first thing you should have is a literal interpretation. Read the words for what they say. But then a lot of times the Bible itself says, just like in the first one, the kingdom of heaven is life. Jesus is trying to make a comparison, an analogy. So a lot of times the literal is an allegory in itself. Jesus is talking in parables. He's trying to tell you something in a way that you can understand a deep spiritual meaning that's not necessarily easy to explain in the natural. So, with that said, when you read through the Bible, when you read through certain books of the Bible, take time to, to read it for exactly what it says, but then also ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the deeper truths of God. The Word itself says it's the the joy of kings to search out the deep truths that are in the world. My wife has been on prayer today. <laughs> Excuse me for that. I got drawn by that for a second. But with that, the book of Psalm of Psalms, or the Psalm of Psalms, is, is one of the books that has both of those deeply impregnated. And that is, that it is a, a 
of Solomon and the Shulamite bride. But it's also, and, and has been for basically the 3,000 years the book's been written, taught by Jewish rabbis as an allegory of God's love for Israel. Okay. So the literal interpretation is actually a fairly new interpretation of that book, to only read it as a book about Solomon and his wife. The more historically accurate teaching of the book is actually God's love for his people. And when you see it for what it is in that allegory, there's, there's deep meaning in the way God loves us. And he uses the bridal paradigm throughout Scripture to tell us how much he loves us. We see him as the Father a lot of times. A lot of people have that vision of God. And it's taught to us a lot of times that, that people that have a hard time coming to God that way, you need to talk to them more about Jesus. If they have a bad father image, they've had a bad relationship with their father, they're, they're not drawn to that message. They're, they're, they have a bad image of the father. So when you teach them the father, they have a tendency to, to portray unto God bad traits that they had growing up as a child. There's those who want to teach through Jesus, which is through the love side, which usually attracts people that that had a good relationship with their mother. And so we teach that a lot of times to people. But when you teach about the bridal paradigm, what you're really saying is it's a direct relationship between you and God as a, as a husband. It's tough for men to understand sometimes. It's a, it's a, to put ourselves in the role of a bride. But when you understand it from a spiritual standpoint, we take out the concepts that we have uh, We've allowed the world to take words away from us. Um, words like passion. Do you understand that, that God is a passionate God? That has no bad connotation to it. It means that He's zealous. He, he is uh, bound to have us as His bride. That's the stage we are right now. In a spiritual sense, we're right now, the bridegroom is in heaven. And he told his disciples, he doesn't even know the day in which he's coming back. But he's up there preparing his way. He is. The Father is preparing his people. He's laying aside a good friend of ours. Um, we had dinner with him last night. Your daughter got engaged Christmas Day. And the dad and I were talking last night. He's going, I've got to change my flight lesson before I'm going to Okay. So. He knows what's about to start happening. He's about to start preparing for a wedding. He's going to start putting aside things for a dress. He's going to start putting aside things for a banquet hall. He's going to, he's got to start making those kind of preparations. That's his job now. He's a father of a soon-to-be bride. And he understands that responsibility. So he's preparing his, his wife or his daughter to be a wife. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing with us right now. The Holy Spirit is preparing us to be the bride of Christ. Okay. And throughout the book of Psalms, the bride is going through transition, learning things about the husband. And that's the Holy Spirit's job in us, is to get us ready for that, for that wedding day. The book of Revelation talks about the day that will be the bride of Christ. That, that we will be at the wedding of, of the Lamb. And we're the bride. He is walking around pacing, going, Daddy, I'm, I'm ready. 
And he's going, I'm getting them ready for it, son. I'm getting them ready. Okay. So when we take a quick look at the Song of Solomon, I'm going I'm to do a very quick overview this morning. Uh, the church we attend does about a 12-week college level course on this book. Okay. So that's how deep it can get. So uh, I definitely don't have time to do that this morning. But I can touch on all the basics of understanding God's love for us and how it's demonstrated through the book of Psalm and Solomon. So I encourage you in the next week or so to take a time. It's not a long book, um, but just kind of read through it and, and just ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to you. To see God in a different way, as, as, a, as a, a virile young man wanting to get married. And the zeal that he has for you. And how much he loves you and how much he wants for you to be a... Uh, Adequate is not the word. An equal partner. He wants us to be in a place that we're going to be married. We become one. Okay. So chapter one begins the story of the Shulamite getting introduced to this virile man, Solomon, the king, rich, ruler, handsome man. Okay. And, and she starts this relationship with him. There's really three parties in the book. There's the Shulamite bride, there's, there's King Solomon, and then there's, uh, as our pastor calls sometimes everyone, well, the peanut gallery. Uh, the daughters of Jerusalem, he, they get questioned a couple of times in the book, they get asked for their opinion, and then sometimes they kind of step in and ask you know, questions of, of the other parties. What's so special about this? So when you read through the book, that's, that's the three main characters you'll see throughout the book. Um, but basically there's a spiritual crisis that begins in the journey. As, as she sees him, she recognizes how unworthy she is. That's her first thought. Wow, this is the radiant king and, and how undeserving am I? And, and that, that's where we find ourselves most of the time. Most of the time when we confront God, we, our first inclination is to turn on ourselves and go, we're not worthy. Okay. So, so that begins a crisis within us immediately to try to figure out why in the world does God want a relationship with us? And what does? Our song, the song we just sung had that in there. We're basically dust that he brings life into. So, so we can find that conflict within ourselves to go, how can he want us? We're, we're dark. We're full of sin. You know, how could this man love us? Okay. And then she starts picking up a little bit that, yeah, I might be attracted to this guy. This might, this might work, you know, but I'm not sure. We go into chapter two, and it basically becomes the part of the romance where he pulls her in and uh, her love starts to awaken to him. She starts recognizing um, who he is. Who is this man that, that wants me to eat cakes with him and drink wine and, and bask in his radiance and, and he throws this big elaborate party for and says, you're the one. Whether you know it, you're, you're the one. You're the one I want. We have a very hard time with that. We really do. It's just part of our human nature to 
kind of resist that. We always want to think, well, it's got to be somebody else. It can't be me. You can't talk about me. That's exactly what we're talking about. Each one of you is the one God wants. It's a hard concept to get to within this allegory thought process. It's been taught for years different ways. Some see it as, uh, like I said, Jewish rabbis have always taught it as God's relationship with Israel. Uh, Christian teachers have taught it for God's relationship with his people, whether that is Israel or the church. But I tell you, it's deeper than that. It's God's relationship with you. Individually. You. We're going to have that moment when we recognize him in his full radiance and his gaze is going to fall on us and he's going to go, Jesus, I did it all for you. Because his love is that deep. The fire in his eyes is going to gaze upon you, look you in the eye, and go, it was for you that I came to die. He did it for all of us, but he did it for each one of you. He did it for me. That day he's going to look in my eyes and I'm going to see that. It's going to be amazing. I don't know what I'm going to do. They've written songs about it. I'm going to jump up and dance. We're going to follow the feet. I don't know what I'm going to do. Probably at the same time. I don't know how that works, but doesn't happen in heaven different than we can explain. But when you understand that, you take it to that level and you go, my God loves me with such fiery radiance that he wants to marry me. And before he does that, he has sent his Holy Spirit to get me ready, to prepare me. That's where we're at right now. This world is our, our chance to be exposed to the things of God and make the choices to choose to love Him. We move into chapter 3 and we realize He's kind of called us to run out and do that. He said, okay, I've sent my Holy Spirit to come correct you. Now it's time to go to battle. I'm fixing to fix go out and do some conference and I want you to go with me. At the end of chapter 2, she kind of goes, oh, wait a minute, I like this cake and wine thing. This running on the hills and, you know, dressed up in battle uniform and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I think I'll just wait right here. I love you right I love you like this. And he goes, no, if you love me, you got to love me all. Let me tell you something that's the, that's the dichotomy that changed a lot of my life in the last eight, ten years. And that's been... Seeing Jesus as the one who heals. Seeing God as the one who smites and smokes and wipes out everybody, kill them all, don't keep nothing, burn their idols. How do, you, how do you put those two together? When Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Okay. Part of our problem is, is we have a warped perspective of both of those. God has always been about love. Always. Everything he does is in love. When you really grasp that concept, when we understand that everything he does is in love, no matter what it looks like, how we teach the story, it's always been about love. Guess what? Jesus is all about vengeance. When you actually read, God says, I've given all wrath to the Son to be earned. Revelations, Jesus is the one that Orders the trumpet fall. 
Jesus is the one that opens the seals. He's the one that says four eyes of the Okay? Because he's about justice. We get, we, we get perverted views sometimes. We don't understand the fullness of the Trinity and understand who God is. But this God is in love with us. And part of what he does is trample out of victory. And he's going, you're going to be part of that. There's a time coming when he returns to this planet where he says, you rule and reign with me. We don't understand that part of Jesus. If we just think he's the lay on his chest in the upper room, you know, and have supper with him, when he says, okay, it's time to go, we're going to go, whoa, 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 we don't know you like that. And he goes, well, you got to know me like that. Because I'm that too. I can be the general father, and I can be the very fourth. And you got to know me both ways. So she kind of says, oh, I think I'll wait back. And discipline comes to her. Okay. Divine discipline. Basically, he separates himself from her. And that longing that she feels for not being able to see him, she goes out in the streets and she starts saying, Have you seen the one I love? Have you seen him? And here comes those daughters of Jerusalem again. Oh, he's great. He's beautiful. He's the fairest thing. She gives a whole litany of who he is. And she gets in the daughters of Jerusalem like, what's making him so special? Oh, he's, he's the one. I know now. And where's he at? I can find it. And he ran off the board. I didn't go with him. I stayed back. And, and now I'm missing. Okay. But he returns to her. And she's ravished in her heart when they reunite. And she's going, man, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to feel that level of separation from him. When you, when you ever truly have an encounter with Jesus Christ at that level, you don't ever want that to ever end again. But God's bringing him. He's teaching us. He separates himself sometimes from us, not because of our sin, not because he says, I can't be with you. It's because he wants us to realize we can't be without him. It's a, it's a discipline to make us understand how we can't live without Him that draws us back to Him. He separates Himself from us sometimes. When we re-encounter, re-engage, it's not like He left. He's just going, okay, now I'm going to let you see me again. I'm going to reach back out to you. Uh, when they embrace that level of love for Christ, you're going to experience those times in your life. When, when you're some people call it a desert experience. When you can't hear it, you can't see it. You don't know where he's at. Okay. Um, he's there. Because he said he'll never leave us or have us like But we've got to understand. We've got to grow in our understanding of him to the point where we go, we know you love us and everything you do is out of love. Therefore, I trust your sovereignty. And I trust that the path you put me on is the path I need to stay on until you tell me different. I can't hear anything, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on keeping on. Okay. He'll join right back up when you get up. You're on top. That's exactly what I wanted to do. Chapter 5 uh, has been called the dark night of the soul. When you read that, a lot of people see this as discipline, but this is, this is a different discipline. The word discipline... Uh, affects people different ways. There, there's a father's discipline of correction. 
But then there's a dip, discipline for preparation. Those are two different kinds of discipline. One, one gets disciplined because of actions they've done in the correction. But also, you get disciplined to prepare you. How many push-ups did you have today? What, what, some of those were punishment push-ups. I can guarantee you. But a whole bunch of those were so you'd have to stand on the point you needed to do the task you had to do. If you hadn't done those push-ups months ago, when it came time to grab that guy and pull him out of danger, you wouldn't have the strength or the stamina to do it. That's a different kind of discipline. That's the dark night of the soul. That's when she wants to go engage him. He knocks at the door. She's longing to be with him in chapter 5. And he knocks at the door. When she opens it, she can't find him. She goes out into the streets looking for him, going, Have you seen the one I love? And she gets encountered by the night watch. She gets encountered by actually leadership. These are leadership people that are watching in the night. And they actually abuse her. How many of us have been abused in the church? How many of us have been hurt by leadership in the church? Okay. It's a different kind of discipline. It's not a discipline because of something you did wrong. It was a discipline to prepare you to understand how God is, who God is. Okay. He allows that event to take place. But in it, you'll find something when you read it. Her veil gets removed. That's part of that. She sees clearly because her veil's removed in that instant. Okay. And she recognizes his beauty even while she's in the midst of that discipline. She recognizes his beauty and she goes, I still love him. I still love him. I still love him. Even though he called me out here and I can't find him, I don't care. He's the one I love. Okay. When, when you encounter God at that level, uh, what you're actually doing is recognizing again sovereignty. And you're going, I know whatever he did. The reason he called me out here is because he loves me. And all of this has happened because he still loves me. And I'm okay with that. Because he's the one. He is the only thing I'm with in my life. It's very, very, very difficult. Um, most of y'all have been in love before. How difficult was it for a parent to tell you you shouldn't love that person? Stay away. I can't do it. When it's love, it's love. Yeah. I know fathers have tried to run several of y'all in on. Shoot y'all off the porch and everything else. Try to run you out. That's love. Okay. When you fall in love with God, no matter what happens, that, that love will sustain you. Even when you can't see him, even when you don't see him, even when you can't find him, you're going to go to that. I don't care. I know he loves me and I know I love him. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay in this relationship with him. Okay. She gets confidence in love in chapter 6. This is when she starts. Now she sees all the beautiful things about him and she starts telling all the daughters of Jerusalem about, oh yeah, yeah this, is, this is all the way love. 
because she's leaving it now. And, and nothing is going to separate her from it. You need to experience God at that level. And if you haven't, uh, it's time to. Because I can tell you that especially for men, it's very difficult to understand the true love of God. It's difficult to understand passion at that level. We tend to feel like we, we have to be kind of that person, but, but we have to be accepting of that too. I'll tell you, as a man uh, who has been in a situation to follow a leader, when you have a passionate leader, you'll follow him into the bullets. Because he says that's where you need to go. That's, that's a level of trust that you place in someone that you've given that place of authority in your life. And if you haven't even gotten that place in your life, you've got to do that. Because when he calls you to do something, you've got to be so willing to give it all. To march into that situation wholeheartedly going, I know he loves me, I know he called me into this, and I know that he's going to do that for me through whatever it is. The song called brings us into a relationship with God if we really, really understand the passion that God has for us. When Jesus died, we call it the passion of Christ, the crucifixion. It's one of the definitions. If you go to Western, look, passion. One of the definitions is the crucifixion of Christ. Maybe we can passion. That same thing. We understand that concept of a man that passionate for his people that he lays out his life on. We need to encounter God at such a level of love and trust that we want him to be our husband. We, we want to submit ourselves to him. To understand his leadership. Understand how he loves us. To understand how he wants us to interact with him. Because when Jesus comes back to the planet, it says clearly, we're to rule and reign with him. He's the firstborn of many brothers. I need a partner. I need someone who is committed to me as I'm committed to them. And God uses the marriage shadow or the marriage type throughout Scripture to show us a relationship between Him and I. He did it with several prophets. With their relationships, and you guys see this, this is how I love. This is how I love. As Israel ran away several times, he goes, I draw them back every time. I know they've done wrong things, but I pull them back. So if we understand that relationship, God will place a seal upon that relationship. And it's the wedding ring. We're, we're set for a feast in heaven with Jesus Christ being the husband and us being the bride. And it's very difficult, like I said, for men to catch that concept sometimes. But when you understand it from a standpoint of leadership and authority and passion, it's easy to submit to Jesus Christ.
and say, I will follow him. I want to be his partner. I want to be a woman. I want to be the bride that can show up in the back of that ceremony wearing, dressed in white. We talked about it in Revelation. The saints showing up all dressed in white. He's, he's longing for that. He is pacing right now. Don't bother the time. The time that he's going to We've got to be ready for that relationship because it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to ask uh, Kaylee to come up here. Uh, my dog, some of y'all know her. And Christian, uh, come And let her just. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind doing a little ministry. Uh, my wife's here too. And, and if you haven't ever experienced Christ at this level, uh, we'd like to pray for you. To uh, understand Jesus at a whole different kind of level of love. Uh, did you know ever seen this? If you'll bow your heads and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and for revealing yourself to us this morning in a way that um, we've never thought of and we've never allowed ourselves to engage in. But Lord, we thank you for the father that you are and for revealing yourself as a father and as a mother and as a caring figure. But Lord, I ask that today you would just open our hearts and our eyes to see you as a bride, to see you as a jealous husband, someone who loves us to the deepest parts of our innermost being. And I ask that um, we would go forth today and we would invite others to the wedding ceremony, God. Not to be attendees, not to be those sitting in the audience and being the daughters of Jerusalem, just waiting to see when our Savior's coming. But Lord, I ask that we would invite others to be a part of the bride. We would invite others to come in to that sacred place with you, God. That innermost being knowing you, God. And I ask that we would go forth and we would spread that. We would invite those to the wedding, the glorious day where we will wear white and we will be pure. And we will be married to you, the Son of God. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. And I ask that your word and your Holy Spirit would begin to penetrate our hearts even today, God, even now. And it's in your name I pray, amen.